praise the Lord. Thank you, Jonathan. Awesome. That was, that was a wonderful time of worship. Yeah, so great. My son hasn't been playing drums for too long. I was, I was wondering if he was going to fall over back there. <laughs> Hudson, you did a great job. We pushed you to the max. I did see sweats of, I did see drops of sweat uh, falling down. <laughs> oh, that's fun. All right. Um, yeah, I felt like the Lord wanted me to continue to speak on, on His heart for the Jewish people, His heart for Israel, His covenant that is still um, active, it's, it's still present, the, the promises that He gave to Abraham that I would give you offspring and this, these offspring would be a blessing to the nations. And that to this offspring, he would give land from the river Euphrates to the border of Egypt uh, to the Mediterranean Sea. That's Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. And then when he said, I, I will do this for you, Israel, he put Abraham to sleep. Abraham had cut three animals and, and two birds that he didn't cut. And, he, and, and after cutting the animals, he, he put Abraham to sleep. And God was the only one that walked through the animals and committed to the covenant of giving Abraham's offspring the land and that Abraham's offspring would be a priestly people to bless the nations. What that means is that it doesn't matter what the Jewish people do, that covenant is still active before God. It's still real. It's still alive, okay? And I, I touched on that uh, a few weeks ago, but I just want to reemphasize that, that when God walked through those animals, it was, a, it was a statement in that culture that if I don't fulfill my promise, be unto me that it was according to these animals, that, that, that you can do to me what, what was done to these animals. So, so God's serious about that. Um, moving forward, even past the Mosaic Covenant, to the Covenant of David, another covenant that's um, unconditional. In 2 Samuel 17, God promised David that there would be a seed, that there would be an offspring, that there would be an heir that would come from David's line and would sit upon his throne. And his kingdom would be forever and ever. And we know that Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of that promise. And it's actually Jesus that God will give the land to, and Jesus, when he returns, will lead the nations through a people called Israel and, and from that geographical place on the earth. Now, can you believe that you know that? Can you believe that you have inside information concerning the place that Jesus' throne will settle for a thousand years, and the place from which the word of the Lord will go forth 
and the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Whoa, hello. <laughs> These aren't normally here. I, I, I normally have more room to do that, so I'll need to. <laughs> I mean, can you believe that, that, that you know that? These promises that we, that we read in the Bible, they're not just information that we tuck away and go, oh, that's cool. When we see prophecy yet to be fulfilled, it's supposed to stir longing in our heart for God to fulfill His promises. Now, there are timing indicators and there are things that must happen before the Lord's return and there are... like. I know that. Dominoes have to fall. Let me just speak to this real quick. I don't believe the Lord is going to come back any minute and split the sky and you're just going to be gone in a moment. That teaching is called imminency. It's actually not found in the Bible. Okay? God has prophesied many things that must happen before His Son splits the sky. And one of the things that he prophesied that we had to see before the Lord returned was Israel come back into the land. When that 1948, 1963, 1970, not, like the, 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 the progression of Israel coming back into the land, that had never been for close to 2,000 years of history. 70 A.D., Jesus prophesied this. He said, Israel, in Luke 21, one of the most, um, uh, I don't know, intimate scriptures where Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and he begins to weep. We know that Jesus wept over Lazarus, but we kind of blow past Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And he's weeping because he knows the prophetic destiny that is on this nation. He said it in Matthew 5. He said, this city, Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. It's, it's my city. I'm the branch of the Lord. I will sit on a throne from this city. And I will branch out and fill the earth with glory. So he's approaching Jerusalem. And he begins to weep. He says, oh, Jerusalem. You have missed your day of visitation. And then he prophesies because they missed their day of visitation what's going to happen with the Roman army in 70 AD. That they would be surrounded, that not one stone of the temple would be left on another stone. There's another place in Luke 13 where he's doing the same thing. He's approaching Jerusalem and he's weeping over Jerusalem again. And he says, oh, how I longed to gather you. Like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But he said this, but you weren't willing. You weren't willing to put your trust and faith in me as the Son of God. Yet, in Luke 13, he prophesies. He goes, you will not see me again until it comes from your mouth. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a prophecy. That Israel, when Jesus returns, they will acknowledge Him as their King 
Because that was a that was a statement from Psalm 118 that was that was prophetically spoken about the Messiah. That when the Messiah returns, Israel would say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They will say that with their lips. God will fulfill that promise. But 70 AD, they get dispersed. It actually took about 100 years after 70 AD for Israel to, to fully be out of the land if you just, if you just do the history. So let's say a, a 170 AD to 1948. Thousands of years, about 1,800 years where Israel isn't in the land. And then they're back in. How does that happen? It's a miracle. God's promises are true. You know, that's the fourth time that happened to Israel. God said through Abraham, this land will be yours. Jacob leaves the land on with counsel from the Lord at the end of the book of Genesis, leads the land, goes to Egypt. There's a famine. They're out of the land. They're, they're in Egypt. God waits 400 years, raises up a deliverer, and brings them back to the land. The first exodus. Establishes them under the leadership of Joshua. And then, you know, the history of judges, and then the history of the kings, and then King Saul, and then King David, and the Lord speaks to King David. And after King David, about 500 years, they're in the land. And then Assyria rises up. There's a split in the, at the end of the reign of King of Solomon. There's a split in Israel. And now there's, there's two tribes in the south and ten tribes in the north. And Israel has a civil war for 500 years. We don't speak a lot to that civil war, but that's, that's kind of intense, you know? And then the king of Assyria rises up and he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the territory of those ten tribes. So he comes in, he takes the territory of the ten tribes. Another king of Assyria rises up, Sennacherib. He's like, I'm going to take the southern two tribes. Hezekiah repents. Hezekiah says, Lord, have mercy. Hezekiah lays the, the threat on the altar and intercedes. And God breaks in and wipes out the Assyrian army. 180,000 strong. And God says, no, they're repenting. They're living the way that I told them to live. They're pursuing me. I defend them if they do that. I leave them in the land if they do that. Now that is a beautiful, that was a beautiful picture of what God wants to do for a thousand years for them. But Judah still goes down a path of sin. And then they're removed out of the land in 586 BC. So, so the land's empty. There's some people that have settled it from Assyria. They, they, they settled in Samaria, the town. They morphed into, not morphed, but they, they, we know them as the Samaritans in the New Testament, but that was you know, about 700 years later. But the land is, is desolate. The, there's very few people in the land. 
And Jeremiah goes, that's going to last for 70 years. 586 to 516, that's going to last for 70 years. Then a man called Cyrus rises up in the earth, conquers Babylon, comes in to power the, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, and he's found in the book of Isaiah hundreds of years before that happened. And Isaiah said, there's a deliverer coming, his name is Cyrus, and he's going to fund and politically protect God's people getting back into the land. How does that happen? I mean, just that right there should be proof that God is real. When you study this stuff, you're like, well, well, that can't happen unless God is real. Unless He is really the God that fulfills His Word to His people. Now guys, that's important for us. Because if God does not fulfill His Word to the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then He won't fulfill His Word to us. We've been grafted into a family. But if God fulfills His Word to His chosen people who aren't even walking in right relationship, what does that say that God will fulfill His Word to you who are pursuing Him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Now, there, that's a great point, but there, this topic, guys, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's layered. It's uh, a mystery. So, though, though I'm speaking on this this morning, I, I feel humbled under this. I, I feel um, ill-equipped. <laughs> I even looked at Rachel and I said, Rachel, I, I, I shouldn't have spoken on this. <laughs> because it's, there's ten dimensions to God fulfilling His promises. But anyway, I don't want to, let's not, you clapped, you rejoiced at a point, and then I said, don't rejoice so fast, don't worry about that, let's just, let's just go on. So 586, they get taken out of the land, 516, they come back into the land under the leadership of Cyrus, and they begin to build the temple again, they begin to establish the work of the Lord. About 170 AD to 165 AD, there's a, there, there's a time of, um, of waywardness again in Israel. And the Lord raises up this man called Antiochus Epiphanes, and he comes into the land, and, and the Lord uses him as an instrument to, to discipline his people. And uh, he was a, a king of the Seleucid dynasty that, that broke off once, Alec, once Alexander the Great died and Greece broke into four parts. This guy named Antiochus Epiphanes rose up, and, and he had it in his heart to, to, take the, uh, to take Israel again and to take the land of Israel. So he comes in and he, he kills 40,000 and he uh, exiles 40,000 more. It was a great day of mourning. But this is what's called the Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabean family rose up and they revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes. And, and as they repented and asked God to to uh, help them and ask God to, to remove their enemies. God did it. We're actually in the, in the days of celebrating that anniversary. We're in the days of Hanukkah. That's what Hanukkah celebrates in the, 
in, uh, uh, with the Jews. And then the final, you know, one that we really know of, of 70 AD. I say this, to, I, I'm, I'm going through this to say this. When Israel came before God at Sinai, and when the voice of the Lord came from that mountain, and when the Lord proclaimed the Ten Commandments in their hearing, they had the confession of, we will do all that you say. Exodus 19, Exodus 20. And then later on in Exodus 24, Moses reads to them the whole law again. And they, and they, and they say, we will be God's people. We will be His treasured possession. We will obey all the words that God has said. And the reason God is giving them these commandments is to live in the land they must Pursue God the way He said to pursue Him. To live in the land, they must be a people who obey the Lord their God, who diligently pursue the Lord their God. They they must not be like the other nations around them. They must not give in to idolatry. They must not give in to sexual perversion. They must not, and they need to pursue the Lord. And the Lord gave them the Mosaic Covenant. And then they said, we will do that. Now, the Mosaic Covenant, it's a conditional covenant. It's, it's, it's something of, if you do this, then God will do this. Okay, And so, for Israel to stay in the land, they must obey. And if they obey, there's blessings. I mean, just look at the blessing. And this is crazy. In Leviticus 26, I just love this. I mean, when you read the blessings of God, you're like, God, you have the most generous heart. When you read the disciplines of God, you say, God, you really are a father that disciplines his children. (laughs) It's supposed to put fear in our hearts. He's a loving God, but there's no loving father. You just look at a normal family. If I'm a loving father and I just let anything go in my house, that destroys my children. If I'm a loving father and I don't speak truth into my children, every chance I can get, if I don't do that, I'm not a loving father, right? The Lord was just speaking truth. He says, I am holy and to live before me, you must be holy as I am holy. To live before me, you must pursue holiness. And so if they did, they got this in Leviticus 26. Let's start in uh, in verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the great harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. Basically, what you plant, you'll still be gathering it when it's time to plant again. Like God would 
radically bless the land. God would radically provide for his people. The the reaper has overtaken the sower. It says it in another place in Micah. Verse 6, I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. I will remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall chase a thousand. Shall chase ten thousand and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Now, we saw God fulfill that. In many stories of the Old Testament, through Gideon, a hundred, you know, chased thousands and tens of thousands. Three hundred chased thousands and tens of thousands. God has power to fulfill his word. Jehoshaphat, singers and musicians, God, what do we do? Put the guitarist in front. There's parts of me that hate that verse. Because they're just like... What would I have done? I would have been like, the Lord is good and his mercy endures for, you know, trembling. And then I would have walked over the hill and saw God destroy the army before me because they turned and fought each other and everyone was dead. That's the God we serve. The, the, the crescendo of this is, is verse 11. This is, this is the real benefit of obedience with God. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Intimacy with God. Dwelling with God. Talking with God. Walking with God is that expression that takes us back to the garden where Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, had intimacy with God, had love and and yada with Yahweh, intimacy with Yahweh. Let me just tell you, that's the greatest benefit of the new covenant for you and me. Don't, Don't lay that down. Have a vision. This afternoon, have a vision tomorrow morning to yada Yahweh, to intimately know Yahweh. Have a vision just to remove things from your life and to pursue God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, because in that is the greatest joy. Loving your neighbor as yourself, getting your eyes off of yourself, putting them on others, having an eternal perspective for all that God has promised. I love to say that I'm just in a little, I used to say 70-year internship, but Mike always rebukes me not to say 70 years. So I'm in, I'm in a 105-year internship. <laughs> My wife has a vision to live past 100. I don't. Um, <laughs> Like, Lord, take me while I can still move, please. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know if I mean that, Lord. Let's just, we'll talk about that later. Okay. So intimacy with God. But guys, there was also a negative side to this betrothal that Israel had with Yahweh. If they disobeyed, 
there was punishment. Now, our Bible calls them curses. But I think curses in our day, it, it's like a, I think of a witch cursing someone. or I think of, So I don't, I don't say curses. It just doesn't, I know what the Bible is saying. But, but in my mind, I say discipline, punishments, or chastisements. But there are chastisements to the covenant. So when Israel's in the land and they obey, they're blessed. When Israel's in the land and they disobey, there's cursing. And they, and they, I just said it. <laughs> you go to the back row. I don't want to hear you. <laughs> when, when Israel disobeys, there's, there's chastisements. And, and this progression happens over and over again. Here, just so you know, here's like the biblical, I'll just walk you through it. I'll just say, this is how this covenant chastisement cycle happens in the Bible, okay? It happens like this. Number one, it begins with Israel breaking covenant and walking in disobedience. And then God is real patient with them. But he, number two, disciplines them with various national calamities. And that's what, that's what the, the curses, the chastisements, that's what they are. They were, they were national calamities that were called to wake Israel up. How many of you have felt that in your life sometimes? You're not walking in obedience, and there's some, there's some not national, but there's some personal calamities, things going wrong, and, and, and you start to go, God, okay, I'm coming back, okay? I mean, Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19, this is what he sent to do. And he sent, he sent to northern Israel, the ten tribes, and they've like completely changed the biblical worship system under the reign of Jeroboam, they completely changed it. They're walking in radical disobedience before God. God sends them Elijah to turn their hearts back to him. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and they fall on their face and they cry, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. One of the most amazing stories of the Old Testament. And God would send these calamities. He send famine. He would send, but with the calamities, He would send the prophets and the seers who would proclaim the heart of God. You have a lot of those prophets and seers in your Bible. I tell you what, the prophets confused me growing up. But I tell you what, <laughs> I tell you what, it sounded like a Texan. <laughs> I want to say it again, but I can't say it. <laughs> Let me tell you something. In my, over the last 15 years of my walk with the Lord, the prophets have been such a strength to me, such a comfort to me. Why? Because they reveal God's heart for obedience, God's eternal promises if I step into that. But they also put the fear of the Lord in me because they reveal God as a judge God as a chastising father. And it just, it's just this one-two punch all the time. I'm like, oh, 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 you know? <laughs> You're just like... But God would send punishment, and he, then He would send prophets and seers to confirm the Word of the Lord. And this was always the message. Return to Me. 
Don't return to a system. Don't return to a program. Don't return. Return to me. Live the way I told you to live. Obey the law. Live it. Do it with all your heart. But don't put your faith in the law. Put your faith in me. Return to me. That, that was always. And we, we, we still live in that place under the new covenant. We don't return just to doing things, right? We return to God. We have relationship with God. And from that place of experiencing His compassion and His mercy and the fear of the Lord and intimacy, then we're the workmanship He's created to do the good works that He's purchased us for. But we return to God. We obey His voice. So, and if they didn't do it, the second, the third phase, if they didn't respond to the, the discipline of national calamities, is the land was invaded. The fourth phase was that when the land was invaded, if they didn't respond, if they didn't return, the people were killed and the remnant was exiled. Now, praise God, it doesn't stop there. Okay, phase one. Israel walks in disobedience. Phase two, they're disciplined by national calamities. Phase three, the land is invaded. Phase four, people are killed and the remnant will be exiled. There's a phase five. After they're exiled, they repent in the land where God has sent them. They turn back to God. Now, this is what we saw under the leadership of Daniel and under the leadership of Ezekiel. Under the leadership of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon, the Jews acknowledged their sin and they returned to God. And then God said, I will bring them back into the land. 5.16, that happens. It's like a, it's like a, well, and then phase six is the Lord restores them to their land. It's like a holy bungee cord. <laughs> it really is. They get out of the land, but the land is theirs. And it's like, oh, and they repent. And, da, 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 and they get back into the land. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but I like saying that. The holy bungee cord. I don't know. Um, now, with fear in my heart, I want to I say this next point. The, the callings of God are, irrevoc- are irrevocable. What God says over a people, and, what, and, and specifically when Paul uses that statement, what God said over the calling and election of Israel to be His chosen people, it's irrevocable. They can't do anything where God will say, I'm, I'm done with you. Now, unfortunately, in the church, we've heard that message. If you read any writers from Reformed seminaries, they will will actively preach that the church has replaced Israel, and now we receive Israel's promises, and they don't receive them. Yeah, that's not good theology. So just, when you hear that, just have a check and go, I don't think that's right. God is faithful to His people, but if the callings of God are irrevocable and if 
what if if they live in the land if if they walk in obedience and they and they're disciplined if they walk in disobedience right now we're seeing the same covenant chastisement take place now i say that with fear and trembling in my heart because it's also when god when god allows and he pulls back his protection and he pulls back his hand there's evil that comes in and and i am not saying we don't pray against that evil we pray we ask god to but the main thing that i am praying for israel in this season i am praying for protection i'm praying for a release of these hostages i am praying for God to give wisdom to the IDF. But the main thing I am praying is, God, would you let your people humble themselves before you? And would you let them cry out to you? And then in the crying out in this season, reveal your son. Pull back the veil on passages like Isaiah 53, pull back the veil on passages like Zechariah 12. Pull back the veil on passages like Isaiah 49, where we see a suffering servant, where we see a messianic figure that removes sin by taking chastisement upon himself. Let them see it. Let them see that they can still put their faith in Yeshua and they can still believe that the Lord is one. That's a big hurdle for a Jewish person. They, they say, we serve one God. Christians, you serve three gods. That's the way they think. And, and the Shema and what they quote every week in synagogue, here of Israel, the Lord is one. There, there's this demonic veil where they can't get past that. And what we pray is for that veil to be lifted in this season. Let's just, let's just look at 2 Corinthians 3 right now. Because you can't, you can't read this enough. Second Corinthians 3. I'm so grateful for Paul and how the Holy Spirit used him to, to bring clarity to this. As a Jewish man who was walking in obedience, but but knew the truth of real friends, real family members, real his, his, his people that were given the covenants and they, and they didn't receive Christ as their Messiah. His real pain in his heart. He actually says in Romans chapter 9, he goes, he goes, I, if Israel could be saved in a way that I could take an eternal curse on my life and be cursed and go to hell for them, he says, as God is my witness, I would do that if it would open their eyes. Now that's not a new statement. Moses said that statement in Genesis 32. When God's like, Moses, I'm done with them. I'm wiping them out. We're starting over. You're the new Abraham. You know, <laughs> like I'm starting with one. And, God, and Moses intercedes and he says, but God, if you're going to do that, blot me out of your book as well. I mean, it was that, it's this intercessory heart that rises up in Moses and rises up in Paul. Now, God would never do that. He doesn't 
work things like that. Paul was walking in obedience. He was safe. His eternal security was, was his eternal state was secure. But just to know he had that heart. So let's read his statement in 2 Corinthians 3, knowing he had that heart. It says this. We're going to start in, uh, in verse 14. It says, But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is the veil taken away. Now what Paul is earlier referencing is the glory of the, of the New Covenant, the glory of the Spirit, the glory of the law of the Spirit, as opposed to the glory of the Mosaic Covenant. Okay? There's five covenants in the Old Testament. Paul is talking about, I mean, yeah, Paul is talking about the Mosaic Covenant here. He's talking about the covenant that was made in Sinai. And he says, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, when they read that Mosaic Covenant, the same veil lies unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Now, guys, this is your prayer manual for this season for Israel. Minds that are hardened, a veil that is unlifted, and the veil lies over their heart. Okay? Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, what happens? The veil is removed. Now, this is great language because Jews understand the veil and what was behind the veil. And Jews understand when Moses came down the mountain, the face that was shining with glory was because he had talked face to face with God. So, when Paul is, I think when Paul is saying this and when a Jew would hear this, they go, the veil is taken away. That's face to face relationship with God, with Yahweh, with Jesus. That's Moses on the mountain type stuff. When one turns to Jesus, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is our prayer manual for this season, for God's people. We are not going to be those boastful branches that just go, oh, yeah, you're dealing with stuff in Israel, but we're good over here. Guys, I feel the, I feel the eye of the Lord on my life right now. Are, are you just going to stand by in the sense of, are you going to be inactive before my throne in laboring in prayer for my people to see who I am through my son, Jesus Christ. And my answer is, God, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be. We have revelation as, as Gentiles, as those who have been grafted in. Paul said, this was a great mystery that the Gentiles get Jesus dwelling in them as their hope of glory. He goes, that wasn't seen... No one knew that. 
But with the interpretive key of the resurrection, the, the dividing wall of hostility in Ephesians 2, it came down. And God has one new man, Jew and Gentile. Guys, we have been given such precious promises. And we are called, like I spoke to last time in Romans 11, we are called as Gentiles to provoke this people to jealousy. Now, we're called to provoke everyone to jealousy, just so you know, <laughs> not just the Jews. You need to make your coworkers jealous because of how you're pursuing the Lord. That's really true. But guys, we are called to love the God of Israel, to commune with the God of Israel, to walk in the power of the God of Israel, to be filled with the spirit of the God of Israel in such a way that when a Jewish person sees our life, they get a little agitated. They get a little, wait, wait. That feels like our promises. And the message that comes from our mouth is, they are your promises. This is your Messiah. This isn't, I heard a testimony of a Jewish man. And he, and he said, about fourth grade, he was, uh, he, was, he was raised in a, in a Jewish home and, uh, and there was these older boys and they were Catholics and, and they started to, to really, they were hostile toward him because he didn't believe that Jesus was God and he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and he, you know, and, and then they go on to say bad things about him and about the Jewish people. Um. And then, from, and then he, he went home, he talked with his mother. His mother said that phrase, we believe in one God, they believe in three. Sat him down, this is why you can't believe in Jesus. And he thought Jesus was a Catholic priest. Because <laughs> I, just, I just thought Jesus was a Catholic priest. He had no idea that Jesus was Jewish. Zero. Because the way it's talked about and the way it's kind of veiled in that community Jesus is a Christian. Jesus isn't a Jew. But when they see our lives and we have the message of Jesus is a Jew. It, this is a Jewish book. Our entire New Testament, except for one book, was written by Jewish men. We can, we can give that to them with comfort going, this is Jewish. This isn't Greek. This isn't Roman. It is Christian. We are Christians, but this is Messiah. And so, I just, I just feel this, the fear of the Lord in my heart. Let, let's go to um, Isaiah 62. Let's, let's look at this passage on an encouragement on how we can pray for the Jewish people in this season. Isaiah 62, we're going to start in verse, we're actually going to start in Isaiah 61, verse 10. Jesus is talking in Isaiah 61, in Isaiah 62. 
Isaiah 61 is the famous passage that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. We know that verse. That's a famous verse. Same voice, same Jesus that's talking in verse 10 as well. Jesus says in verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. I love it when you get Jesus in the Old Testament. Guys, there are so many parts in the Old Testament that could be in red in your Bible. And this is one of them. All of this could be in red because it's Jesus talking. Isn't that wonderful? One, one is Isaiah 49. You get this dialogue between the Father and the Son from verse 1 to verse 11 that just blows your mind. But anyway, we're not going to go there. It's just one of my favorite. But, but when you get Jesus in the Old Testament, you want to take it seriously, right? All the prophets, all the writings of Moses, all the Psalms point to him. They're honoring him. It's his voice Isaiah was hearing and writing down. Verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. So Jesus is rejoicing in his Father. My soul shall exult in my God, in my Father. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. Now I know we like to talk about our robes of righteousness but Jesus gives us a robe of righteousness because he has a robe of righteousness. <laughs> Amen? And Jesus has garments of salvation. Now, these are garments of deliverance. This is a way of saying Jesus has power to deliver, and he is righteous in his deliverance. He is righteous in his judgments. And, and the Father has clothed him like this in extravagance as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Verse 11, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. That's where this is going. Righteousness and praise and other passages, glory and other passages, salvation, and other passages, um, long life, are going to sprout up before the nations. The nations are going to experience the glory of God at the return of Jesus. Amen? So Jesus has a heart to bless the nations, okay? But he does it through a people. Next verse. Again, Jesus has a heart to bless the nations, but as the gospel is to the Jew first and to the Gentile, as the covenants were to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, as the glory was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, that's God's, uh, that's God's pattern for the end of the age, and that's God's pattern for the millennial kingdom, okay? He is the God of Abraham. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. That's Jesus' heart. Look at the next verse, 62.1. What's on Jesus' heart when he talks about blessings in the nations is this. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Now guys, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to understand what Zion and Jerusalem are interpreted as. It's really Jerusalem. (laughs) It's the real city. It's a real place, okay? 
And Jesus is interceding for her righteousness. And Jesus is interceding for her to burn like a burning torch. Remember when those Jewish men came outside of that upper room and they were lit on fire? God wants every person in Jerusalem to experience his glory like that. He wants Jerusalem to be put on the world stage and to shine because they're ministering to their God, they have the heart of their God, and they're serving the nations as priests before their God. That's what God will have when he returns. And he's interceding for it now. He's actually praying for that. And in praying for that, he knows that the nations will be blessed. That the nations will flow to Jerusalem. That the nations will be discipled. That the nations... I'm preaching now, but here we go. Verse 2. And the nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. So the nations are going to be blessed by her glory. The nations are going to see her glory. Jesus is interceding for her glory. And then Jesus says, I'll call her a new name in that season. And this is, and the name we're going to get to in verse 4. Let's look at verse 3. You, Jerusalem, Zion, you'll be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You will have, you'll be in my hand. You'll You'll have protection. You'll be close. You'll be valued. I'll jealously guard you. I think of the crown of beauty. I think of the prophecy in Exodus 19. If you walk in my ways, you will be my treasured possession among all nations. Verse 4. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, And you shall be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her. You shall be called Beulah, which means you will be married to me. For the Lord of hosts delights in you, and your land shall be married. The Lord delights in a people, and he will marry a people in a geographical spot called Israel and all the nations will be blessed by this covenant. Guys, the land is a big deal in this season. I'm I'm walking with a little fear of the Lord, a little tremor in my soul, because in Joel chapter 3, Jesus, it's a picture of Jesus returning, and he comes back to deal with the nations who have roughly dealt with Israel and the nations that have divided up the land of Israel. That's intense. And when you read Joel 3, it's not a good dealing. It's a judgment. I know that is so unpopular to say in this season. There are Christians going on. There there can be a two-state solution. There can be... Guys, I just... I think we have to tremble in the fear of the Lord and go, it's God's land. Now, we have to say that with humility and fear because Israel isn't, they're also not living in the land that well. They got to repent. 
to stay in the land. So on this side, you say, it's God's land that He gave to Jewish people. On this other side, you've got to go, Jewish people, return to the Lord your God. And those two messages are kind of silent right now. And we have to be faithful messengers that say both in this season. So the land is God's. He's going to marry it. Now think about this. When the Lord returns, He only takes this little bit of land in the Middle East. From the border of the Euphrates. So, so when the Lord returns, Israel will stretch out to Iraq. It'll go down to like the, the into Saudi Arabia, into the border of Egypt. The Sinai Desert will be part of Israel. It'll go up into Jordan and into Syria a little bit. But it'll expand. But it's not everything of the Middle East. God says, I'll live here for a thousand years. I will fill the earth with glory for a thousand years. And nations, I'll give you everything else. How generous of Jesus just to take that little bit. You should take it all. We shouldn't have anything. We treated you terribly. We treated your people terribly. Your people treated you terribly. He's like, no, I'm generous in heart. I just, I love that. That thought hit me and I was like, even right there, God, you're so good. So he's going to marry this land when he returns with his people. Look at this. Verse 5. For as a man marries a young woman, so your sons shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. There's a wedding coming. Now, you are going to have a resurrected body when I'm talking about all of this. You're going to be partnering with the Lord. You're going to be in his family. You're going to be discipling these Jewish priests that are to fill the earth. You're going to be discipling the nations. So I don't, I, don't, I don't say that to overshadow what God will do in us and through us who believe in him. But he has real promises to, to fulfill to a real people. And I think we need to take them seriously. And I think we need to take them before the Lord. So here... When I read scripture, and when I see a verse like this, in my mind, I go, God, you want to do something of like manner. It's going to be lesser measure, but you want to do something of like manner now. How do I know this? Because God never changes. And this, if this is in his heart to bless his people in the future, this is in his heart to bless his people now. Maybe not with the extravagance of the coming of you know, the return of Christ. But by the power of the Spirit breaking into an orthodox Jewish man's heart as he's meditating on Scripture, and he comes alive in the knowledge that, wait, 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 I'm supposed to be married to God and Yeshua is my bridegroom. I don't know how that's going to happen. But when I read it, I'm active in prayer. I say, God, do this now. God, release this now. Knowing that a greater day is coming, God, marry the land now. God, be faithful now. God, call them by the new name now. They're saying we're forgotten by God. They're saying we're forsaken. God, let them know they're not forsaken. Let them know their destiny before you. And those, when I read the Old Testament, it, when I read especially the prophets on what God is going to do, I don't stand idly by, I enter in as an intercessor. It's Daniel chapter 9. When Daniel read the prophecies a few years before 
of what Jeremiah said he would do 70 years in the land and then return them, Daniel fasts and prays and intercedes in Daniel chapter 9. That is our prophetic posture when we have revelation concerning what God wants to do in the earth, but it hasn't happened yet. He is looking for a people to pray. Which brings us to the next verse. (laughs) Good segue. Verse 6. This is what God is doing right now. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. He says, Jerusalem, these are my purposes for you. You are to be righteous. You are to shine with salvation like a burning torch. And I will give revelation to individuals who understand this even before you understand this. And I will set them on a wall of prayer and they will cry out to me for Jerusalem to be a praise in the earth. Another way to say this is exactly how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. And he said, pray that my kingdom would come and pray that my will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus gave us the glorious end to ultimately cry out for in real situations, in our real lives, in real time and space right now. And he says, the glory of that ultimate end will break in now if you ask for it. And the if is real. If you're not hungry for it, you're not going to ask for it. But if you're hungry for it, and if you ask for it, I'll begin to do it. I mean, I, I, oh, I just, sorry. So, guys, I think we might find ourselves walking in the fulfillment of what Isaiah saw in Isaiah 62. I think we might be the generation that begins to pray this and hastens the day of the Lord, as Peter says. I, look at Luke 17. Same night and day prayer language. I'm sorry, I'm going to... Uh, I always say Luke 17 because Luke 17 and, and the first few verses of Luke 18 are always in my mind as the same passage. We're going to look at Luke 18. So Jesus, in, in 1720, is asked a question from a Pharisee He veils an answer. He's not going to open himself up to a Pharisee about the kingdom of God. But then he pulls his disciples in, in verse 22, and he begins to teach them about the kingdom of God and about the days when he will return. And it's a beautiful teaching. We're not going to get into it. In the same breath, he goes into the parable of the widow that always is, he goes into a parable about the widow, and the point of it is 18.1, that the church should always pray and not lose heart. Now, the context is the same. The context is Jesus giving an end-time teaching, and then just like he did in all of his other end-time teachings, he goes, how do you respond to this? You watch and you pray. But he actually gave us a parable 
on how to pray concerning his end-time strategies. Amen? So he says, there's this widow, and we, I think we know the, the, uh, the context of this. But here's how it culminates. This widow is, is coming before this unjust judge, and she will not be silent about the justice that is due her. And because she keeps bothering this unjust judge in the parable who doesn't fear God nor respect man, she gets the justice because she's persistent. Okay? And then God says, or Jesus says, in verse 16, hear what the unjust judge says, meaning he gave her the justice because she kept bothering him. Verse 17, or verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect to cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, here's the context, when the Son of Man returns, will he find this faith on the earth? Now, do you hear the same type of language as Isaiah 62? Isaiah 62 is, I will set watchmen on your walls, all Jerusalem. They will cry out night and day. They will not give me rest. They will not they will not stop until they see Jerusalem as a praise in the earth. In Luke 18, he goes, I'm looking for a people who have faith on the earth in my return. And this faith is de- demonstrated by crying out to God night and day for justice. So this is, I feel like, my response in, in this season. Let me just... I do want to say this. I say this humbly. Um, we live in a divine tension here. I'm going to be done in just a few minutes. I won't give you the exact time so you guys don't look at your watches. But I'm, I'm wrapping up. I'm wrapping up. It's one o'clock. Here we go. I'll say this. Matthew 24, from the lips of Jesus, clearly teaches that um, there are future hard days coming for Israel. Matthew 24, Jesus says it's, it's a time of great tribulation, such as the earth has ever known. From the beginning of the earth, now to the end, the earth will never know a greater time of tribulation. Now, Jesus is quoting two passages in the Old Testament. He's quoting Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It's called the the time of Jacob's trouble. And Jeremiah says, and for Jacob, there will never be a day of trouble like it. And then Daniel 12, from the lips of Gabriel. So you have Jeremiah, you have Jesus, and you have Gabriel the angel telling Daniel the same thing, that, that when, when Michael stands up, there will be a time of trouble for the people of Israel like the earth has ever known. So we live in a tension. We know that great trouble is coming under a demonic king called the Antichrist. But we also know that great blessing is coming and great power is coming upon the church in that day of the great tribulation. And, and it's clear biblically that both are right. Matthew 13 said the wheat grow right along with the tares until the day of reaping. So, 
What's our posture? One, we pray for Israel. We pray for salvation. We pray for protection. Two, we know that trouble is coming, so we prepare to stand with them. We actually prepare to, to, to walk alongside a people that are being persecuted. And as, you know, the parable of the prodigal son, they're the older brother in the house. And they had, the Christie pointed this out. They're the older brother in the house that aren't experiencing the benefits of the father when the father said, I've been here the whole time. This has all been yours the whole time. We're the prodigals that have come back into the father's house. Amen. And we lift up prayers for our older brother. And we also go, we're going to stand with our older brother. We're going to stand with a people that were the original branch to the original root, to the original tree that we have been grafted into. Now, let me ask you this question. If you knew in Scripture that next year there was going to be this great war in Uganda, and you, you, you could just, you knew it was going to happen. You were sure, and it was going to happen next year. What would the mission, uh, and, and millions of people were going to, we're going to die, but you had an opportunity to, to raise up help and to preach the gospel and to save people. I think the missions movement would, would respond to that in a second. What I'm beginning to feel in my heart is that, God, you are clear in Scripture that before you return, days in the Middle East are going to get worse. How do I respond? Well, how do I position my life to be a deliverer in that season, to be one of wisdom in that season. I think we position our lives in prayer. I think we position our lives by saying, God, what would you have me do in my generation? And I also think we put the message of comfort on our lips. Look at Jeremiah 31. And I'll end with two verses. Jeremiah 31 and Isaiah 40. Jeremiah 31 verse 7. We love the back end of Jeremiah 31 because it's the New Covenant passage that's most quoted in the, in the New Testament, but, but the front of Jeremiah 31 is really good too. Um, okay, so verse 31, or chapter 31, verse 1, at, the, at that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people, verse 2. For thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. That's a loaded phrase, grace in the wilderness in the, in the Old Testament. But we don't have time to go there. When Israel sought for rest. And then it talks about the Lord restoring Israel from a time of war and from a time of sword. But look at verse 7. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, Raise up shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save the remnant of Israel. I want to posture myself to do all of these things. I want to sing with gladness for Jacob before God. I want to raise shouts for who? God calls them the chief of the nations. We just got to deal with that as Americans. Just deal with it. God didn't ask you. He made it a certain way. He put a chief in the middle of the nations. But 
this chief, this head of the nation, sir, is going to serve the way God serves. They, they're going to serve with humility. But he made him chief. But we are called to proclaim. I want my message, the message to be on my mouth. To give praise. And I want to say to others and to God, O oh Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Look farther in, in verse 10 of this passage. This is amazing, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. That's us, Gentiles. Hear the word of the Lord, O Gentiles, and declare it to the coastlands far away. And say, say this phrase, He who scattered Israel will gather them and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. We are to say that God is a God of gathering, but God is also a God of discipline. He's a God of of scattering. That's a hard phrase to say to a Jewish person. The chief of the nations is a hard phrase to say to a Muslim person. (laughs) This is just hard, no matter how you cut it. But we have to prepare to say these things with clarity in our heart in the generation that we live in. He who scattered Israel will gather him. And God always does this. If you don't live according to my rules, you get scattered. Israel gets scattered. But the God who scatters is also a God who gathers. Return to God and he will gather you. Return to God and he will keep you. Amen? And then one other verse of of what we say to others and what we say to Israel. Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, is Isaiah 40, verse 1. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Now, the reason I have some fear in my heart in some of the phrases I'm saying is because they have to come from a place of love and tenderness. We're outside this family. We're in the family, but, but we're not Jews. I love it that God gave Jewish prophets to the Jewish people, that they can hear them, <laughs> that they were Christian prophets to the Jewish people, and then, you know, or Gentile prophets to the Jewish people. Anyway, I appreciate that of the Lord. But we're supposed to speak tenderly to Jerusalem. This, this revelation that we have concerning God's heart for them has to come from a place of love and a place of tenderness. It has to come from a place of God's compassion. It can't come out of jealousy. It can't come out of anger. It can't come out of frustration. It has to be spoken tenderly. And we are supposed to cry to her that there's coming a day where her warfare will end. There's coming a day where her iniquity will be pardoned. And there's coming a day where she, will receive, where, where, where she won't receive double from God's hands for her sins, but she'll receive double blessing. And then, how do we do that? We, do the, we, we proclaim literally the rest of chapter 40. We proclaim that the word of the Lord stands forever, verse 8. A Jewish person needs to know that the promises given to Abraham stand forever. But they need to know they're fulfilled in Jesus. It's both and. They're fulfilled in Christ. In Romans 15, it says that Christ came to fulfill the promise of the covenants to the Jews. And then also in fulfilling those promises to be the hope of the Gentiles. Romans 15, there's a little section in there that just gives so much clarity 
And they need to know, guys, Jesus came to fulfill the new covenant so that you could walk into it. So, hopefully you're thoroughly confused at the end of this. No, I'm just kidding. No, I... Good, 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 good. Why don't we just stand and we'll end. Yeah. Jonathan, if you could come and just play a little bit. Uh, if you guys don't mind, let's just do 15 minutes of prayer for Israel. Is that good? Yeah. Let's just pray for, for some of these things that we, that we preach from. And Mike, if you want to come up and pray anything, you're more than welcome to. Well, Lord, we come before you. And I just want to turn back to Isaiah 62. And I want to pray some of these prophetic promises. Jesus, you said that you would cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. And in the same breath, you said that you are not silent. For Jerusalem's sake, you will never rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and salvation in the earth. So, Lord, we just, we honor your will. We honor your plan. We don't come into the family to, to dictate to you how to rule the nations. We come into the family to submit to your leadership. And so, Lord, if, if you are not keeping silent until... The, the Jewish people walk in righteousness and the Jewish people experience your salvation. God, we don't want to keep silent. Lord, I ask you that there would be a people in Colorado that in this season of turmoil in Israel's history, we would be on the wall, we would be giving you no rest, and we would say, Lord, would you shine your glory from that land? Lord, would you encounter? Lord, I pray right now for young men and young women in the IDF. I pray for right now. I ask you that they would humble themselves before Yahweh. And God, we ask you for the 30,000 strong messianic believers in Israel. God, we say... Do Acts 2 again. Instead of with 120, do it with 30,000. God, would you see your remnant that is trusting in Yahweh through the blood of Yeshua? Would you see them and would you anoint them to boldly proclaim the gospel? I pray for the one believer in the IDF that is surrounded by the hundred, anoint that young man and that young woman. Anoint them right now, God. And Lord, would you prepare the way for salvation by dreams, by visions, by signs, and by wonders. Lord, we pray right now for key people to be saved in the Orthodox community of Israel. The ultra-Orthodox, God, we ask you right now, in agreement, I just really believe God wants to answer this prayer even today. I just have faith in my heart. God, right now, in agreement, we ask you for that 2 Corinthians 3 veil to be lifted in the name of Jesus. 
and lifted in such a way where they, they would have grace to be bold about Yeshua. They would be, have grace to be bold about Jesus. Lord, we, we know that there are those that are, that are secretly believers, but they can't say anything. God, we ask you for, that you would fill their mouth with the word of the Lord. Do what you did with Peter. Take a weak, timid man. Take a weak, timid man. Take a weak, timid man and make him into a bold lion proclaiming the gospel. And Lord, we just, we know that your heart is to revive Israel and your heart is to have them bless the nations. So God, we just turn our attention right now to every Palestinian in the West Bank and every Palestinian in Gaza. God, we say, reveal the heart of Jesus. God, I ask you for divine protection for Gazian Christians who they, they feel hated by their own people because they're Christians and not Muslims and they feel hated by Israel because they're having an army come against Gaza. Lord, right now, just empower them. Strengthen them. We pray first that they would not fall away. Second, we pray that because of your glory moving f through the church of Gaza, that many Muslims would come to know you, that many people who have their faith in Allah through, through just that demonic stronghold of Islam, Lord, that it would be broken in the name of Jesus. It would be broken in the name of Jesus. God, we ask you to set us on the wall. I pray that you would give us strategy, Lord. Show us how to respond in this season. I pray that you would give everyone in this room, everyone at the Rock, strategy for, for prayer in this season. That we would not just be news watchers, but we would be those who enter into the storyline and through intercession, change the trajectory. Change the trajectory. Change the trajectory. God, we know that every one of the plans of the enemies, you have... You have an opposing punch that you want to release through your church. God, we say release it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask you for angelic help right now. In the Middle East, angelic help. God, we ask you, would you continue to let the church of Iran be the fastest growing church in the world? Would you continue to pour out the glory of Jesus in Iran? Would you continue to save and to fill and to strengthen your church? And God, we, we ask you for salvation. We ask you for that Romans 10, what Paul said, my heart and prayer is for Israel to be saved. And Lord, we extend that. Our heart and our prayer is for revival in the Middle East. Isaiah 42 prophesies that before the Lord's return, in the Middle East, in, in remote villages of the Middle East, they will sing worship songs to Jesus. God, we ask You for that right now in the name of Jesus. We ask You for Muslim women and Muslim men who have never heard the Gospel to hear the Gospel either through a dream or through a prophetic messenger that's around them and to be saved in the name of Jesus. 
Lord, we love you. And we bless your name. We bless your name. Amen and amen. I want to encourage you guys. Um, I wanted to do a, a, a time of prayer after this sermon for, for Israel and for the Jewish people throughout the week. And I just don't have capacity this week to do it. So what I'm, what I'm thinking is we're going to have some days of prayer coming up in, in January. We're going we're gonna to give more information to it. But pretty much, I, I think from January 8th through, through okay, starting January 8th, we're going to do a 21-day day fast. Um, uh, and I'm going to pepper some of that fast with some prayer meetings that we just focus on God's heart for Israel and the Jewish people. It won't be the only thing that we're fasting. We're, we're fasting for breakthrough at the Rock, breakthrough at Castle Rock, breakthrough everywhere. We need, we need a lot of breakthrough in this season. But um, but I just have it on my heart to to call some strategic prayer meetings during that 21 days where, where we lift up. But I would just ask you, don't, don't wait for that. Begin to take some of these prophetic passages and, um, and pray them. And amen. Okay, I think we're done. All right. You guys can be dismissed. We love you. Thanks for staying and laboring with me. Love you, love you.